Off-Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. My guest host today is my friend, Zen Zenith. Welcome back, Zen. Look at this. Hey. Yeah. Oh, we have over 100 episodes of this of this podcast. And That's amazing. You helped me get this show off the ground way back in 2015. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me, Blake, on uh, this. this uh, is this actually episode 100 or are we... We're a little bit past that, huh? We're a little bit past that, and I don't really count the two super short episodes I did about the sabbatical that I kind of took back in 2020. Got it. All right. Well, what are what are some of your favorite episodes so far from from the run? How could you ask me that? Like this is like asking a parent to choose favorite children. <laughs> this is a terrible question, but I will attempt to answer it. Uh, I mean. A lot of this podcast has just been an excuse for me to either interview my friends or to, you know, send cold emails to people who I find super interesting and get them to talk with me. And and I guess the ones that stand out the most are those with people from really different backgrounds. So last mm. year I did, or I think it was two years ago now, I did the infamous interview with uh, the Harvard law professor, Elizabeth Bartholet, on why homeschooling should be outlawed, essentially. I, I still remember the, the Apple podcast comment that I got from someone that said, how dare you platform that, that professor? <laughs> I was like, hey, little, little con- it's good to hear what other people think if they're trying to outlaw the thing that you like to do. Oh, so you have you have a controversial episode in there, a controversial episode. Yeah, yeah, and there's not too many of those, so that one definitely stands out to me. I think the episodes I did with people about the homeschooling, unschooling, alternative education situations in Europe uh, stand out mm. to me also, especially one about France and how things are going the wrong direction for homeschooling in France. Um, ah, there's just there's too many. Send I I. I reject this question. Uh, can we move on, please? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I ever suggested that you ask me this. <laughs> I was going to say, it's right on my notes here, Blake. We planned this. We I take full responsibility. It. I'm so sorry. Let's just move forward. Um, if, if someone was going to jump into the podcast as a like starting point, where, where would you recommend they start, Blake? Well, I think going back to the really early episodes is actually going back a bit too far. Um, I'd say about halfway through the 100 episodes is where I guess I kind of hit my stride as an interviewer. I remember feeling, now I can answer your question. I remember feeling pretty (laughs) proud about the the Peter Gray episode where I interviewed him about what kind of scientific evidence exists for self-directed education. Mm. Um, Yeah, a a few more like of my favorite authors who I managed to get onto the podcast, like uh, Brian Kaplan who was defending conf- the value of conformity on the, the show, and mm. uh, William Duresowitz, who wrote that book, Excellent Sheep. And so all of those are k- kind of like halfway through the the 100 episodes. I think that uh, something in there, that, that's a great place to start. Okay, awesome. That's, that is good guidance, and I feel like whenever I'm starting a new podcast, starting at the beginning always feels a little intimidating. So yeah. I, I like having a sort of like, hey, actually, you can just skip that and start here, yeah. sort of uh, tip. Yeah, yeah. And just overall, this podcasting thing has been such a, a journey. Like, it's it's evolved over time. And 
really, it's more than anything else, it's been an adventure, Sen. Hmm, an adventure. Interesting. Adventure. So, yeah, funny that you mentioned the word adventure. That's, uh, I believe, what we're here to talk about today. Gasp. <laughs> yeah. This is very natural and normal. We are segueing perfectly into our discussion on adventure. <laughs> Yeah, adventure has been on my mind more than usual, uh, Zen, because, well, I had a sort of realization after this last unschool adventures trip that I ran where I took mm. a group of teens to Mexico. And on the way back from that, I was I was on the, the plane coming back from Mexico, and I just started writing uh, about the theme of education and adventure. And, and I realized mm. through that writing that Alternative education, self-directed education, unschooling, all of this has been something that has mattered to me because these forms of self-directed learning enable people to go on adventures. And I even look back at my first book, College Without High School, and I said, hmm. oh, everything I wrote in here is just like escape dreary high school so you can go off and do adventures, and those adventures will still make you someone that colleges would like to admit because you're doing something different and bold and, and courageous. And I had, yeah, I had this moment where I realized that adventure really underpins a lot of my beliefs. It, it even like came before my strong feelings about education. Oh, okay. So, okay. So you've sort of, I, can you, can you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean? Like, what's the point of taking an alternative route through education, whether it's primary, secondary, tertiary education. You know, it's not going to get you more job security, most likely. It's going to make you a little bit of a, a social outcast. Like you have to explain yourself and your choices to people. So it, like, what's the, the net gain here? You know, if I sit mm -hmm. down and I'm honest with myself, it's so that you can go off and do really cool things outside the mainstream and, and have the time and opportunity to even dream of those things in the first place and then to make them happen. And it, it keeps coming back to this word adventure for me. Why do something outside the mainstream? So you can go on adventures. And, and this is something that connects to my personal life also. Why, why attempt to be self-employed? Why <laughs> deny yourself having uh, like a, a normal, stable household, uh, you know, so you can enable yourself to go on adventures. It all sort of clicked or connected. And that's when I thought, you know who I should talk to about this? Zen Zenith. <laughs> Actually, that's I when I, that's when I started writing this, this standalone series that I've been doing since February, since I came back from that unschool adventures trip called notes on adventure. And that's mm -hmm. where I've been fleshing out a lot of these thoughts. Cool. Yeah, the thing that really stands out to me in what you just said was having the time to like, even dream about adventures and like, think about what adventures you want to go on. That is something that I think, you know, I know that when I'm w working like a standard nine to five, that feels like the thing that's the hardest to get, like the hardest to like retain in my life is mm. that time that downtime. That sort of it's not even so much like having the time to go on the adventures it almost feels more like the energy and the downtime to uh to actually like even consider an adventure mm -hmm. is is the the thing that's hard to come by mm -hmm. um 
I'm curious, how do you define adventure it, when you're, when you're talking about adventure, is it just like outdoorsy stuff and travel or is the, is there a more broad definition in the way that you're defining it? I am definitely biased towards outdoorsy stuff and towards I know you travel. Are. <laughs> yeah. I know. If, if anyone has literally ever read anything that I've written, this is apparent. <laughs> so, and I think that the, the culture at large perceives adventure as like extreme sports and traveling mm -hmm. to super remote locations. And I think there is a lot of value in things like those, although I'm not very interested in extreme sports myself. But I do think of adventure more broadly. And when I did sit down earlier this year to really nail down the definition, I realized that there were three essential components. The first one is mm. novelty. So it needs to feel at least somewhat new. The second one, and probably the most important one, is uncertainty. So not sure what the outcome is going to be. And the third one is emotion. So it needs to put you into some sort of you know, aroused emotional state, like something that's different from from normal you need to feel something hmm. and i think when those three things are present then whatever you're doing can be considered an adventure and so like yeah going for a, a backpacking trip in the mountains clearly you know there's, there's and unless you've done the same trip over and over again there's going to be novelty there's definitely going to be uncertainty out there in nature and i've never gone on a backpacking trip that didn't produce a lot of positive emotions um, I don't think you even have to explain like how international travel checks those boxes, yep. but, but I also think like, like, you know, you've been a, a self-employed musician, Zen, like I'm sure yeah. that for you, that was an adventure, that journey of self-employment, trying to sustain yourself, trying to, to become known, work with, you know, other people on, on creating music, creating art. Uh, so any form of self-employment, which is very similar to self-directed learning, definitely meets the adventure criteria for me. Maybe my biggest adventure in that department was whenever I've run a Kickstarter campaign, usually for a new book. And mm. like, <laughs> definitely the uncertainty and definitely the emotion, like, do enough people believe in my idea <laughs> that they'll give me X number of thousands of dollars to you know, produce this thing. And, and then the, the emotional payoff when, when you do meet that goal. That's, I mean, that, that sticks. Um, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, resonates for me, certainly um, in the musician category. I think anytime you're undertaking a creative project, it, like you said, checks all of those boxes that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. It definitely has. Um, yeah. Are people going to, is this going to resonate with people? What's going to happen? How are people going to respond? Um, definitely feels like an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And something that became big in my life over the past six years is partner dance, um, tango dance, fusion dance. That's right. And, and that clearly, when I think about it, every little three minute dance is an adventure, especially if you're dancing with a, a new dance partner. It's a, it's a song maybe you haven't heard before. And then in, you're with this stranger and you're, you're dancing to this music that you just need to respond to. And then everything clicks for maybe just five seconds. And, and the emotional feeling that comes from that is just, wow, like massive payoff. And, mm. but, and, and then just to take it away from like the, the high excitement category, I think even something like trying to keep up a, a meditation practice or go to a meditation retreat definitely mm. fits into the adventure box if you've if you've never done it before i attempted to do a 10-day 
silent Vipassana meditation retreat in 2019 when I was living in New Zealand. And I only made it halfway. I, I quit on day six. I read a whole blog post about it. It's on my website. I remember. You, we, we, I think we were texting about it at the time even <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And uh, it was a totally new experience trying to sit still and still the mind for that long. I did not know if it was going to turn out and and talk about like an emotional roller coaster. Uh, so that that was an adventure. So yeah, it's definitely more than outdoors and travel, even if that's the main way that adventure is branded in our culture. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I've also sort of been, I've been doing a regular meditation practice this year and I'm traditionally very I, th I feel like doing small chip away things like that, where I'm just doing a little bit of every day, or that's something that's very challenging for me sometimes. And I certainly hadn't thought about it in the context of adventure, but that's, um, it makes me feel much cooler about my meditation practice now. <laughs> You're so adventurous, Seth. It's inspiring. <laughs> so what what is it that sort of drives you to live um, this sort of adventurous lifestyle, Blake? I feel like, you know, there are all these highs like you're talking about, but also like as we're talking about some of these things, some of it gives me a little bit of anxiety when I think about it. And I'm curious to know, like, you know, I, I imagine for a lot of people that feeling of anxiety is maybe what keeps them from, is part of what keeps them from doing um, more adventuring. What what What's sort of keeping you from the opposite, from leading a more traditional settled down in one place lifestyle? Why can't I just chill out? Why can't you just chill out, Blake? <laughs> I think ever since I had that moment in college where I stepped away from the astrophysics track and stepped into the self-designed degree in alternative education, mm. I, I, I've been kind of ruined ever since then. Zen. It, it's like I had this flip, excuse me, this switch that was flipped in my brain and I was totally engaged and I, I felt this, yeah, I, I think engagement is, is the right metric here. This mm. just like total focus and drive that was not there before. It was a lot more box checking, ass covering, you know, not necessarily play it safe before then. And I, and I did have some experiences before college that were pretty formative, like going to this wilderness summer camp but deer crossing that i've probably talked about in half the episodes of this podcast yep. um, but really it was discovering something i was super passionate about in college and then i saw the effects of that after college when for many years i was unable to hold down a job like i mm. my very first job out of college was working at astro camp getting to teach the physical sciences and astronomy to school groups. And it was like the perfect job for me. And I got to like work with kids outdoors, take them hiking, take them on ropes courses. And it, the commitment was only five months, I believe. But I already had this other plan in the back of my head to go on an adventure, to do something like way bigger and more grand. And that was the Pacific Crest Trail. And, and so I quit this astro camp job early to go on the pacific crest trail and then i for reasons that were opaque to me at that moment quit hiking the pacific crest trail after two weeks and i was and then i just kind of was thrust into the next uh 
thing, which was working at a, a summer camp back east and then trying to do more outdoor education work and, and quitting that job early and trying to make it in a, in a mountain town, South Lake Tahoe, as a snowboard instructor and very quickly quitting that. And so I don't think that the follow your passion, everything should be an adventure lifestyle is necessarily healthy <laughs> or, <laughs> or I would never say like, this is the choice that most other people should make, but mm. definitely somewhere around age 20 is when I had something turned on in my brain and I, and it was mostly good, but I, I really struggled with it for a number of years, really until I was uh, 23 and I ran away to South America for three months and kind of started getting my, my shit together. So, uh, but even, even since then, even since I, I tell myself that I got my shit together, most conventional aspects of life have looked like traps to me. So regular jobs, uh, 12 month leases, or God forbid, you know, having a mortgage, uh, even long-term standard relationships, I've, they've all graded on me in a way that it's taken me a long time to figure out why. Mm. Uh, I, I read, a, have you ever heard about this guy named Papa Neutrino? No, I haven't. <laughs> I stumbled onto a, a great book about this guy. You want to talk about a guy who knows adventure? This is this is him. He he passed away recently, but he was doing his stuff in the seventies and eighties and nineties. And something I discovered in the book about him is that he he said that there are there are four jailers, so four things that will put you in in jail um, in your life. The first is a landlord. The second is a boss. The third is a, a mate, like a romantic partner, and the fourth is yourself. And when I read that, I was like, wow, I, that's how I've been living my life. I've been living my life trying to escape the, the four jailers. Hmm. And, and Zen, you grew up largely in Northern California, right? In the Bay Area. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Me, me too, with a dose of another part of California. I also fully admit that I am partially brainwashed by like California 1990s and early 2000s culture sure. and like our moment in history because it's like the cold war had ended the berlin wall came down like the, the economy was lovely in the 90s the the start of the, the tech boom and and just there was this pervasive sense of of optimism it was way easier to travel it was way easier to do outdoor stuff a lot of new you know there was a lot of accessibility to go on on adventures, whether domestic or international. And, and I, I completely admit that that may be part of why I struggle to just chill out and lead a normal life because I was there in California at this right moment where a certain form of almost like radical individualism mm. was, mm -hmm. was taking hold and also being close to Silicon Valley, being close to the, the tech culture the the positivity of that culture and this was reinforced again by that wilderness summer camp where i went and kind of always looking to the positive always saying that there's there's a solution like this is good stuff and also anything in life can become pathological so i, I think that somehow i got onto the adventure pathology train 
and I have never managed to like find the stop where I step off of this train. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think definitely that era, like the thing I always think about is like, you know, our parents all telling us that you can do anything. You can be anything yes. like that. That is like the vibe of the nineties and the early two thousands. Right. And the um, self-esteem movement that's, that's yeah. all tied up in it. It's, it's like, follow your passion, follow your heart. I don't think there's a, it, it's a coincidence that homeschooling and unschooling took off in the nineties. I think it's because right. of the internet, but also because of self-esteem movement, you know, new types of parenting practices. You know, you and I were on the vanguard of helicopter parenting and, you know, other forms of what people label permissive parenting. And, and so it, it really did feel like it's all about us and, and our dreams yeah. and, and nothing should stop us from achieving our dreams. We, we shouldn't accept anything that's going to put the brakes on, on our passions. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I'm curious, like, as we're talking about this, you know, one of the things that kind of comes up for me is I just sort of imagine that other people listening to us talk might be like, well, how, like, I also like they might feel like adventure is inaccessible to them. Right. Like that's, I mean, and that's some, sometimes that's the way I feel as well. And I think that, you know, I think there's a lot of privileges that make ad adventure and travel possible for people in this country. Um, or rather, I think like a lot of, a lot of the privileges that make travel possible come from being white, being male, being cis, being straight, being of able body and mind. Right. And, there's like, you know, when it comes to privilege, there's like a safety component there, obviously. I think part part of it is safety, but there's also like a means component, right? In some cases, yeah. adventure might not be possible for someone who's not physically capable, at least in some of the ways we're defining it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's like a lack of money or a safety net can make travel in particular a lot more inaccessible. Um, and, you know there's many, many reasons people don't have money or safety nets. Certainly like people who are white, male, straight tend to be in positions where they do have more of that. And I guess like, I'd, yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about like, is adventure something that is for privileged people? Like, is it just accessible to privileged people? So to everything you just said, I want to say a yes and sort of statement. Like, Yes, definitely. And it's no coincidence when you go look for the the YouTube videos or the, the published books about grand adventures. It's like mostly white dudes doing it, yep. you know, come from very stable backgrounds. And often their stories are compelling because they were on some sort of track to, you know, some high position in society. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to go climb Mount Everest instead. I'm going to be the <laughs> right. first person to row across the Atlantic. And so, yeah. They had everything and then they let it that, go. That's right. And I, I see that in the story that I tell people about going to Berkeley and studying some fancy pants science and yep. then deciding to go do something else. So there's a big yes there. And I also like to look at this from kind of a really big picture, more global viewpoint, because I think what you said about means is really is really the key, you know, beyond, you know, being, well, let me go back one step here. If we mostly think about adventure in the travel and outdoors 
categories, then yes, you know, being able-bodied yep. is 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 a must, and being younger is extremely helpful, and you know, not being at risk of of being assaulted or abducted or something is of course paramount, and so that explains why you see the kinds of people you do traveling internationally for long periods of time, going on big yep. outdoors trips. But if we use the bigger definition of adventure, and we you know, think about things like entrepreneurship or partner dance or even meditation, then and I think those those barriers start coming down a bit. But mm. back to the point about means, I, I really think that that is the the most prescient point and the most the biggest enabler of adventure. And I think that once anyone anywhere in the world kind of rises out of poverty and, and enters whatever the middle class is in their society, that's when they have the privilege to start thinking about taking a vacation, to think about going for a hike because it's fun, not because it's a it's a necessity to provide your, mm. your basic subsistence. So yeah, it's definitely for privileged people. And also a lot of the world has be, has been going from, you know, living in poverty to living something closer to a middle class existence. And so you know, I, I see people all over the world who are interested in adventure and are, who are traveling for, for pleasure, who are doing, you know, I don't know, some sort of self-growth type thing that we could call an adventure also. And so there are more people seeking out adventure, I think, everywhere. And yes, that comes pretty directly with, uh, with more means, with more financial security, having some savings. I also think it's connected to how like individualistic your culture is and and that ties back to like us growing up on the west coast yep. of the u.s like it's hard to get much more individualistic than that and really we have been told in so many different ways to go right off into the sunset and and this is something that i think is really powerful and alluring about adventure which is in in let's say our west coast U.S. culture, it's really hard for anyone to argue against it. Like everyone's in favor of adventure. Everyone thinks, yeah, you should have more adventure in your life. At least the people I run into, you know, it's it's almost like this universal positive good, which makes mm. me wonder sometimes: Am I really being that countercultural by orienting my life around mm. adventure? Am I just a sort of conformist in this way? We could talk more about that if you want, but I just had to throw that out there because um, it, it is for privileged people. And also, it, just in recent decades, it has become this almost cliched standard thing that you do once you have some privilege and some means. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I'm suddenly thinking about like, um, for anyone who has ever used a dating app all of the dating profiles that are like looking for someone to like go on adventures with, you know, like that is very much like a common part of just the language people use mm -hmm. um, in our, for our people, our age, especially from the part of the world that we're from. Um, so yeah, that, that totally uh, lands for me. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, that all makes sense. I like hearing where this kind of comes from for you. How do you think that this still, like what place does adventure have for people 
now in 2022 where things aren't quite so optimistic and the out, you know, I think people generally are not feeling, <laughs> I think I, this is an understatement to say this, are generally not feeling as optimistic about the future as they were in the yeah. 90s and early 2000s. Um, how do you think that changes your perspective on adventure and, and how other people might be thinking about adventure? Well, the pandemic was one great big case study in, yep. uh, you know, maybe full-time adventure is not the best thing to orient your life around. I still remember in March, 2020, I was in the middle of my first long bike tour and I was biking across the Gulf coast and I got to New Orleans and it was the second week of March and all of a sudden everything was shutting down. I was staying in a, I was couch surfing and staying with some friends of friends along the way. And then I was staying at a hostel in New Orleans and I was there for a week. And at the beginning, the hostel was almost full. And at the end of that week, it was just me and then an Argentinian dude who couldn't get a flight back home. Wow. And I remember thinking, what does a stay at home order mean if you don't have a home? And mm. I, I even held out some, a certain level of naive optimism that I would be able to continue this bike trip and continue to do things like couch surfing. And that was quickly smashed. And luckily I had some friends with some land out in Colorado that I could go stay mm. with when um, you know, everyone was flattening the curve. But back to your point about less optimism today, I, I don't think that that really affects people's day-to-day -day, uh, challenges with routine. And I think a lot of mm. adventure stems from a, a lot of desire for adventure stems from a desire to escape routine. And I think that's where the novelty and uncertainty elements come in, in my mm. definition. And also the emotion, you know, we want to feel something. And there's still, you know, even now, as there was 20 years ago or, or beyond, there are still plenty of jobs that pay you to just show up and clock in and go through the motions and after you've learned how to play the game, it's not that hard anymore. And, and wow, I have a, a paycheck. Wow, I can pay my rent. Wow, I can go on a vacation. And that security and that safety feels really great in the beginning. And, and I know that when I do manage to make money every now and then, you know, that feels great. I, I am not anti-security. I'm not anti-having you know, having material comfort. But for me, my my sort of sensitivity dial to repetition and mm. to anything that feels like I'm, I'm not making the most out of my time. And this is about to sound so cliche. I kind of hate myself for even saying the things I'm about to say Zen, but it's like, if you're not squeezing them, you know, the, sucking the marrow out of the bones of life, I feel like I'm just parodying lines from, you know, dead poet society <laughs> and, and just all this stuff that I was raised with, in the media environment in the nineties and the aughts. And uh, I spent some time in the last year kind of re-examining a lot of the foundational books for me in my late teenage years, in my early twenties. And this also ties in with this, I, I won't call it a cult, but the, the, the personal growth movement and the, mm. and this, man, it all ties back to like the seventies and the, Esalon Institute and like Abraham Maslow, we can just keep going down and down this rabbit hole. But the idea that we always need to be pushing ourselves and growing and learning and changing and to not be 
growing and changing is to be stagnant. Like that, that is so foundational to the unschooling philosophy mm. also. And, and there's so much of that that I agree with, but I have somehow taken this in and, and it, yeah, this makes it very difficult to feel like, like I can just lead a normal existence. And I think a lot of other people feel that way too, even if there is uncertainty about, you know, the world stability and climate and, and all the other yeah. kind of existential threats that we, we worry about today. I still feel like most people are dealing with feeling bored and not challenged and like they're not growing. And that's where this, this thirst for adventure perennially yeah. springs from. Do you feel yeah. that way, Zen? Are you identifying with the stuff I'm talking about? I am identifying with the stuff you're talking about. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. I um, One thing that I wanted to sort of loop back around to is you mentioned um, uh, sort of being, maybe you didn't say quite this, I'm paraphrasing here, but allergic to routine, like, oh, the like that. But something that actually was occurring to me as you were talking and something that I was I wanted to ask you about was... I actually, you know, one of the things I think about is like you, you are a prolific blogger, you know, you post regularly on your website, you run a mailing list, you're like always writing. Um, there are passions that you have that you constantly are chipping away at day in and day out. And, you know, we, and we kind of mentioned this earlier, that's something that I sometimes have um, a harder time with. Um, and to me, that is like the power of routine, right? Like that is the power of understanding the value in taking the small steps and being able to like not be overwhelmed by zooming out so much and like focusing on like this huge, seemingly unattainable goal and more focused on like the enjoyment of the of the doing. Um, so I, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, hearing you talk about like, oh, I, you know, routine isn't something I'm inter interested in, or I feel like it, it pushes me away. I'm like, oh, well, actually, is that true? Like, I actually feel, yeah, I actually feel like, um, you're really good with routine. And I wonder if, yeah, I, I wonder if you could talk to that a little bit. I'm, I'm cu kind of curious to hear like about the habits you do keep and where you learned the habit of keeping habits. <laughs> yeah. And this brings up something I think I wanted to mention in the privilege discussion too, which is, I think, anyone interested in adventure does need to come from a fairly stable base. Like you need to have mm. a certain amount of physical security, a certain amount of emotional security, and you need to like have the chance to feel bored before you can appreciate adventure. Like if we yep. just use that, that three part definition, novelty, uncertainty, emotion, you can think about people whose life is extremely challenging and every day they're dealing with highly novel situations a ton of uncertainty and all sorts of emotion but it's probably more like stressful emotion yep. and so that is a situation where people are thrust into adventure by necessity for survival and so mm. i just want to be clear that we're talking in the outdoor education world it's called challenge by choice we're talking about consensual adventure it's like you've reached a certain level on maslow's hierarchy of needs and i now, was just about to mention maslow's yeah, hierarchy of needs yeah. yep exactly and now you can feel a bit bored you can feel like oh i need to like figure out what my purpose is i need to be doing something that leads to self-actualization therefore let's go find some adventure so yeah. yes uh privilege and 
I, I just I completely forgot the question you asked me, Sen. I just went <laughs> off on my own little tangent. No, that's good. My question was around um, routine, yes, using routine, routine for good. Yes. So guilty as charged. I, I love sending out my monthly email newsletter. I've loved doing this podcast. And I check my email many times a day. I love responding <laughs> to emails. I love keeping my inbox at zero or close to zero. And so I have these little routines, which, to be honest, are mostly laptop office management routines, which, where did I learn this stuff? Like, I, it's hard to know. Maybe I learned some of these skills from school. I think it was more likely uh, project management skills that I learned by, by doing things that I was interested in and realizing that this is how I can be more effective and do more stuff that I'm interested in. That's my, my self-directed learning 101 argument right there. But what I'm really pushing back against, Zen, is having someone else control the bulk of my time. Like, all right. we have is time. Right. And so full-time employment, I think that is what I was largely pushing back against back in those tumultuous post-college years when I was quitting yeah. jobs, even when I thought, man, this job should be my dream job. I think I was saying... Any job that is going to ask for eight hours a day, five days a week, which by historical standards of humanity is so posh, right? Only 40 hours a week. Oh my gosh. You know, and me, to, here's the privilege part again, to me saying, I, I, I need more control over my time. I need to be able to, to spend time as I see fit, even if that's yeah. kind of inefficient. And I, this explains why I, I had so much sympathy for unschooling and for self-directed learning as soon as I stumbled into this world. Because mm. I think that's how a lot of young people feel about school, too. Yeah, I think um, everything you just said, that all really, really resonates with me. And I think actually that also sort of answers my question a little bit about how this relates in the in the year 2022. I, I My experience is that people are feeling that that like, you know, with the pandemic, with, you know, impending and current climate change issues with, you know, people growing older, there's, there seems to be like this universal sense right now that like time is precious. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I definitely relate to um, what you were just saying for sure. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, how, how does, you know, adventure, all of this, everything we've been talking about, how does this sort of fit more practically into some of the things that you do, like specifically with like unschool adventures, for example, how does, how does unschool adventures fit into the picture of all of this, both for you and the, the teens that you take on these adventures? I believe it was you who interviewed me years ago about unschool adventures. And does that sound right? It was. Yes. Wow, that's so. another episode to go back and check out first. <laughs> That was a long time ago. That was. Yeah. And I think in that episode, I I said a lot of the same things I'll say right now, which is that I've always felt that for me to provide an adventure to teenagers, there needs to be a lot of novelty, a lot of uncertainty. They, they need to feel things. And and to me, the way to, to kill mm. that immediately is to pre-plan everything and to have some highly scheduled tour and that's why I don't say I run tours. It's like 
listen, I'm going to take you somewhere. You're going to know that there are some adults who are always looking out for you. We've, we have your back. If you are ever in trouble, if ever in need, we're going to meet up as a group every day and we're going to do check-ins and plan the next day so you have a sense of emotional security. I'll make sure you have a safe place to sleep, that you get fed breakfast and dinner, lunches on your own. And we'll suggest some activities about what we might all do together. But beyond all that, it is a blank canvas. And it, this world and this trip is what you make of it. And this is actually something that I, I wrote on about on the Notes on Adventure series. Mm. I wrote recently about, uh, I think the title is Happiness is the Feeling That Power Increases, which is a, a Nietzsche quote. And it's about how giving these teens high amounts of freedom and responsibility, which often looks to an outside observer like a form of benign neglect on the part of the trip leaders, is a way for them to kind of increase their 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 power, their effectiveness, their ability to navigate foreign foreign lands, foreign languages, to to be in uncertain situations, to never be thrust into a situation that's truly risky, truly dangerous. No, not to court disaster, but that's what the adventure is, is for, is to grow. Here I am preaching self-growth again, Zen. I'm just, it's, it's in there deep. <laughs> and, and, and then for me, on the organizing and trip leading side, this is why I've never thought, I just want to like find the, the reliable formula. This would be so much smarter to do from a, a business angle right if i could just say unschool adventures is offering a trip to argentina every other year in this month we're offering a trip to new zealand every other year in this month of the year and parents could plan ahead and they could say oh, okay we're going to send you on the new zealand trip in, in 2026 my gosh that would be great that's what most other travel companies do no what am i doing instead I send out random email <laughs> newsletters to everyone signed up on the Unschool Adventures newsletter being like, I've decided we're going to go to Mexico in, in nine months. If you want to do this, you have to sign up in the next two months. And this so, trip will probably never happen again. That makes it so, feel like an adventure for me. Okay, yeah. So uh, your approach to running the business in and of itself is an adventure. Um, <laughs> that's, pretty, yeah. that's pretty great. I've actually never thought about it that way before. <laughs> That's and, great. And so, I think that yeah. that's what makes it easier for me to feel engaged as a trip leader. And that's right. and, and also the other people who I hire, I don't have regular staff who run every single trip and have the chance to get jaded. Usually I hire staff to, for just one trip or maybe two trips because that trip specifically calls to them for mm. we, their own weird personal reasons. And so they are extremely invested in that trip and, and they're alive. You can, you can see it. You can feel it. You can hear it in their voice. And that is that that mode of living that I believe adventure puts us in. Like we are we are focused, we are paying attention, we're alert, we are mm. ready to jump into action, mm. we're ready to take chances. Like this is not just another day in the office. Yeah. So what is the connection then between adventure and learning, do you think? So I think what I just said is, is probably the best way I will be able to to lay this out. But I think a lot of what's undergirded my writing about kind of the folk psychology of, of unschooling or self-directed learning is simply that, that if something feels 
intrinsically motivating. It's something that feels like an adventure, a process of discovery. This is the the basis of constructivism in, in education jargon. Then you're going to be a more efficient learner compared mm. to the, the typical classroom experience or let's say the typical workplace experience, especially like typical not super high, high level, not super specialized office work experience of just showing up and like doing as little as you can to, to pass whatever the benchmarks are that someone else gave you, that that's a form of inefficient learning or performance. And so if, if something feels like an adventure, then you're, you're, you're jamming, you're, you're, you're in it. You are fully <laughs> committed. Like imagine this world, Zen, if everyone went to their jobs 100% committed to what they were doing. Like we, we would transform society overnight, right? Yeah. So I'm getting a little, little high, <laughs> high-minded here. You better, <laughs> you better take us somewhere else. Well, let, so, you know, one thing that's interesting to me that you mentioned too is like by nature of what you're trying to instill in the people that you're working with, it's there's like almost not it's almost you you almost can't operationalize it because it's kind of counterintuitive to the spirit of the thing i am curious is that one of the reasons why this like you know why this doesn't translate to like a school or an ongoing program where you like teach kids adventure yeah i've long dreamed and it's still on my goal list on my website mm. to start a school. And by that, I mean some sort of long-term structured or semi-structured learning program where you have the same kids yep. coming back year after year. And that's what I mean. By yeah. School. You, you and I have been talking about this for many, many years. I know. And I have had little flashes in the pan where I thought that might happen. I thought I might start the boarding school for unschoolers, codename Hogwarts for unschoolers. I, <laughs> I thought about buying a summer camp and kind of turning that into my school, so to speak. And yep. I, I have this fear, Zen, of becoming mm. the educator who spends all of his life educating and doesn't have a life outside of that professional role. Mm. I feel like one of the only reasons that teenagers will give me the time of day is because I'm leading this life of adventure most of most of my year. And then I'll You're run, practicing like, what you preach. I'm, I'm practicing what I preach, and it's a majority of how I spend my time. And yeah. I, I'm genuinely – I'm not just doing this as some sort of marketing gimmick. Like, this is stuff I would be doing, you know, if you gave me that thought experiment, if you didn't have to work for money, what would you do? I'd probably still be doing a lot of the same stuff that I'm doing yep. right now. And so I feel like it gives me a certain – form of credential that lets you know helps them pay attention to me as an educator but just like you said to operationalize it to turn it into something that happens every day for nine months out of the year i have not cracked that nut yet i mean that yeah the best way that i've found to kind of share this spirit of adventure with young people beyond running my own programs is to show up and be a guest speaker or a guest workshop leader at someone else's like alternative school or homeschool group. And I've been doing that ever since I started writing essentially since 2009. And it's been lovely. It still doesn't scratch the itch for working with the same young people year after year. 
I'm still trying to figure out a way to do that. Maybe mm. it could just look like coming back and doing this, the same workshop every year at roughly the same time uh, at, you know, some alternative school that has a, a lot of young people. Like, yeah. I think I could get down with that. Kind of like I've always been down with working at not back to school camp for two weeks out of my year. That doesn't feel like it, it monopolizes too much of my time. Plus yes. everyone's super cool there and the food's great. And yeah, you know, yeah. Two it's weeks a is an utopia. easy commitment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. In the, in the way that going back to work at like a full on eight or nine week summer camp every summer feels too much. feels like yep. too much for me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, you know, I think about that, like the, the best music teachers I've had, right. Have all been music teachers who, actively do music outside of their job teaching music right like they're yeah. going on tour like if if i have a music teacher who's like gone for a couple of months out of the year because they're on tour um that's awesome right you want that because that's exciting and it helps you like like you said it's like when you're they're practicing what they preach and when you're learning from someone like that um what they're teaching is so much more infectious and when it feels um, like it's this rare opportunity to work with someone who you, you really respect right. and it's this brief, yep. intense experience, like that's yep. what two weeks of summer camp represented to me growing up as, as a yeah. kid. It's, I always say I learned more in those two weeks than I did in the rest of the school year. And so totally. the, so learning is, is all tied up in this. Learning and, and respect for people who are trying to deliver content or lessons or whatever, it's somehow it's all tied up in this notion of adventure for me. Cool. Um, I'm curious, how has your adventuring evolved as you've gotten older? I'm not old. <laughs> Can you reframe that question, uh, please? Um, well, I'm turning 40. Are, That's we're, we're 40 both 1982, right? Yeah, that was, we are. Yep. I have already crossed that um, precipice um, this year and it is, um, it, it, you know, I feel great, but I definitely feel um, older. <laughs> so, and I mean, and, and to like, and to like keep it on adventure, like, you know, I'm about to go on a trip to the UK for my sister's birth, uh, birthday, sorry, wedding for my sister's wedding. And, um, you know, I, I'm like finding that I'm like bringing a lot more things with me. I'm like, oh, I like have this medication <laughs> now that I take. I have to bring that. Oh, I can't, I can't sleep without my CPAP machine. I have to bring that. Like, right. Like there's like being older there, you know, there are, as you get older, there's things that come up that you I, like I kind have of to need. Admit, Zen, just this week, I purchased a camping pillow, like a Thermarest inflatable pillow, uh, uh -huh. which I have long scorned when I've seen other people. I'm like, what a waste of of weight in your backpack. Just stuff some clothes into a, a stuff sack and that's your pillow. Yeah. And here I am. Here I am. Some of those comforts are nice. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so, well, first of all, I want to tell you this wonderful lesson that I learned from a couch surfing host named Shonda, I believe in Charleston, South Carolina. On that first trip, the, the right before COVID hit trip in 2020, on Shonda's couch surfing profile, it said, I believe she was 41, and she said, ask me why turning 40 is the best. And so when I showed up at her apartment with my bike, I said, Shonda, why is turning 40 the best? She said, because you stop caring what other people think about you so much. And I said, bravo, bravo. So uh, that has definitely been one uh, benefit, like starting this this bike touring, which I 
you know, it's only been a couple of years for me, but I've gone into it, you know, pretty much jumping into the deep end. I remember when I was younger, just looking at people who would be biking on like, you know, like a little side street or a state highway and thinking like, wow, like that's weird. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's a bit too extreme for me. I don't really understand these people. And now I'm just like, I'm just that dude. I'm like the the dude with the... Isn't it? Isn't it funny how our judgment of other people actually almost always 100% of the time is actually uh, masquerading. It's really just judgment of ourselves that's masquerading yes. as judgment of others. Completely. And it's and it's curiosity and it's admiration, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so, and I want to dwell on couch surfing, too. This is one of those things that has compounding interest built into it. The first time I did couch surfing, I think, was 2009. And... I was totally hooked. I was like, oh, there's just cool people out there in the world who want to hmm. let you crash for free at their place and you'll share a, a dinner and some good conversation. You'll stay one or two nights and then you'll you'll leave and and that's it. There's no money. That's the whole transaction. It's just for the benefit of humanity. And I, I still feel that sense of amazement when I hmm. meet people doing couch surfing. But now, instead of in 2009, where I had this virgin profile, now I've got like 80 or 90 positive references on my couch surfing profile. So I have some social proof built hmm. up that makes it easier to, to get hosted uh, because a bunch of other people said, Blake is a decent guy to, to let crash on your couch. So, so that form of adventure, being able to to connect with people, um, having friends and friends of friends all over the world, uh, that has gotten easier. And, mm. and I think a lot of young adults who are getting into adventures, a lot of them through the medium of, of van life uh, or wanting to be international backpackers, I see that the, a difficult element is like not having people that you know in the places that you're going and and really it's like Mm. you against the world and you against your own sense of loneliness and that's a really hard place to be and so Mm. getting older with more social connections everything has been actually easier Um, zen it's hard to find people to go on backpacking trips with me now like when i want to go hiking in the sierras for like five days the number of people in our age cohort who said you can say yes i can dedicate five days uh to hiking in the mountains with you not to my spouse to my children to other pre-existing commitments to the people i'm caring for uh, to my pets like that's that's hard Hmm. Um, my body is still mostly functional this is probably not very interesting for people to to listen to but discovering pilates a few years ago solved so many of my lower back issues oh amazing yeah yeah and so that's awesome so being diligent about like seeking out professional help when things start malfunctioning with the body has, has yeah. become more, more real for me. Um, ah, I can still adventure Zen. I still got it. I'm not old yeah, it yet. It sounds like, sounds like there's, it sounds like there's positives and as well as challenges. So that's awesome. Um, what is, I'm curious with, uh, um, speaking of getting older, you're living this, this life right now it's like i said there's there's those positive as as well as the challenges but like thinking ahead like longer term getting you know 20 years from now 40 years from now what's your retirement plan like how you know i i think that's i think that is another one of the allures of quote unquote stability for people is what's going to happen when i get old right 
yeah, you have a, a vision. Like, I will have this house as an asset. I will have a 401k. Right. You know, this is what I see my parents doing. This is what I see our family friends who are retiring doing. Yeah, although that being said, a lot of that feels inaccessible even to people of my generation. But yes. <laughs> like even with normal, like full-time jobs? Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, if you're looking at real estate in the Bay Area, then that's it's like trying to breathe right. on that, Mars. Thank you. Okay, Good luck. I, thanks for calling me out. You're right. That is a hundred percent a side effect of my my location. You could probably sure. still buy a lovely house in like rural Virginia right now. Yeah, that's true. Okay, retirement. I, I fundamentally I, I don't know, and that kind of feels like an adventure to me. Mm. Also. I don't have a trust fund. I don't have parents who have promised me that I'll inherit some, you know, money or, or house or something like that. Like I, I don't have some sort of super reliable security net to fall back on for the record. Mm. I, you know, I do put money away in a retirement account, but it's, yeah, you know, that plus whatever social, social security might pay out is not going to be very much money. Um, so, when I think about retirement, I really do think about having a robust social network, like my my friends and my acquaintances and the communities that I'm part of feel like hmm. that is what will provide in the case of like, let's say some sort of horrific accident or, you know, disability or, or something like that, where maybe I'm not able to, to pay my own way anymore and so that's what i feel like i'm investing in today and what i've been investing in for the past 20 years by leading this kind of especially travel heavy adventurous life is i've really focused on on connections and meeting people and making friends and I swear, Zen, I'm not doing this out of some sort of like, uh, I'm, I'm going to become friends with Zen so that when I'm like 70 and <laughs> haven't saved any money, I, I can see be how like, it is, Blake. Hey, Zen, can I come crash on your couch for the next <laughs> 15 years? And also, can you pay for my cancer treatment? <laughs> <laughs> That's dark. I, I would like to also say, sorry, for the wow. Record, I, I am, I, yeah, hold on. I want to say for the record that I am not putting a curse upon you. <laughs> Um, I will feel so bad if that is now actually the outcome. Um, rewind. Well, we'll just I, cut that out in post. I, I know whose door I'm knocking on first if that happens. So. <laughs> you, yeah, um, actually, I think you have to come to me now. I guess. I Great. think I just That's signed a contract. Agreement. We have an audience uh, verified this, essentially notarized. Uh, um, so uh, I go, go, go on. I, I think that that for a lot of history, like social safety nets have been, you know, networks of trust and a lot of it prior was probably like religious networks or just based upon like small geographic areas where you know everyone and of course extended family and so that's not a super specific answer to the question like what's your retirement plan in a way that we'd like to have right. like firm numbers but that is what i'm banking on and i'm also banking on socialized healthcare existing at some point <laughs> They better hurry it up. Let's go. Chop, chop. Let's, let's do it. Um, I have um, I have one last question for you. But before I get to that last question, I have a penultimate question, if you will. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, we've been talking a lot about adventure and also the work that you do with teenagers. I'm curious, what is your perspective for like um, 
adults like that want more adventure in your life do you have any advice um for how how adults can bring more of that i was like i mean even just hearing you talk about unschool adventures and the the way you format it i was like god i actually wish that i had that as an adult in a way like i wish like i sometimes feel nervous going to other countries it would be so great if i could go and there was someone there who like it wasn't a full plan but could kind of hold my hand a little bit um we can do that i'm up for it all right great but yeah i'm curious to know if you have any just sort of like broad strokes advice for adults who are looking to have more adventure in their lives well answering that question is part of what I've been doing with this, this new writing, the notes on adventure stuff. And I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but it's, it's blakebowls.substack.com. And I think a lot of the themes I'm discussing there are for adults and they're about the choices that I have made over, you know, my twenties and thirties essentially mm-hmm. to, to continue living this and, and why I've made those choices and what the influences have been and what the trade-offs are. It feels really important to me, and I think this is going to answer your question also, to to discuss the, the fears involved in living this sort of unconventional lifestyle that, that seem to have mm. very few um, yeah, safe, you know, safety nets. And I, I do think that I'm building my own safety net. I, I might be wrong. I might be naive. I, I recognize that. Uh, and and I, I don't have no you know, traditional safety nets either. So I'm like, I, I have savings. Like I can, I could stop working for, for quite a while and that would be fine. Um, and not spending very much money and living that lifestyle and not having a 12 month a year rent payment or having kids or having a spouse with expensive tastes, uh, that makes it a lot easier to be frugal. Yeah. Of course. Um, and so, a lot of the advice I have for adults is probably in that writing. And this is also connected to what I feel like I'm working toward right now. I might be anticipating your next question here. Yep. Yeah. Well, here I go. Do uh, it. Just take okay, us, I'm take us going. home, Blake. I'm, what I'm is ride- next for Blake Bowles? I'm riding this wave. Let's well, do it. So I have these four books and they're all about teenagers or people who are in the, the college age and about making choices outside of the, the norm with respect to education and school. And some conversations I had with friends this summer helped me realize that the, the thing I'm really rebelling against when it comes to school and education is this, this feeling of dread, waking up on mm. Monday morning and just thinking, I have to go through five more days of this. Of like, I have to go to this, this place that they're asking me to do things that doesn't make sense. And there's so much inefficiency and there's wasted time. Like that feeling for a young person, you know, I think I've a lot more sympathy for young people because they're in a position of vulnerability and powerlessness. And so to be, to be told you have to go to this institution and play by its weird rules just feels especially unfair, but it's that same feeling for adults that, I've been railing against my whole life, which is it's Sunday night. And you're thinking, man, I really wish I didn't have to do this, this thing tomorrow. And it's not just jobs. It's, it's all sorts of, of uh, obligations. And maybe it's mostly jobs. I, I I just think that's a big part of it for sure. Yeah. And, and so I want to, like when I was 20 or 22, 
I was looking for a lot of books. I was looking for advice. Like, how do I do life a little bit differently? And I, I found some really great books. Like one mm -hmm. of the books that I stumbled onto in college that was so influential was the, the book Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. And it describes the, the whys and the wherefores of, of long-term international travel and how to do it ethically and sustainably. And, and I've reread re that book a number of times and, and wrote a very long post analyzing it because it, it, it really shaped how I think about travel uh, and, and what I prioritized in the next two decades and continue to prioritize. And so I see the value in, in books for young adults, kind of like books for teenagers, when they're in this like very formative period and saying like, what's important, what's worth focusing on, I'm being asked to to make all of these commitments or investments or like, I'm going to take this first job. Oh my God, I don't like this job, but I have to stay in it, right? Because that's how you lead a life, right? That's how you have money and therefore opportunities and then you can do cool stuff. And so I kind of want to write the book that I wish existed when I was 20 or 22 mm. years old or 25 years old. When I was in the throes of, of all that that chaos and, and quitting jobs and and just really pushing back against conventional expectations for, for adulthood. And I know that a lot of these books exist already, but uh, this is just my egotistical belief. I, I believe I have something else to offer that's not quite out there. Zen. Yeah. yeah. I believe you do too, Blake. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, when are you going to write the book for 40 year olds in that position? Because that's what I, I could I actually need you to hurry up on that one. Because I, uh, so you know, I got, if you, I if you take too it. long, I'll, I'll, I'll need the book for 50 year olds. So. Yeah, so, so maybe your, you know, young, youngest cousins might be able to benefit from that book. So I got to go through it first. I'm so sorry. Okay, it's um, okay. It's yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm 40. And I'm only now feeling qualified to write something for like 20 somethings. Hmm. And I, that probably makes sense. Uh, yeah. Just to answer your question in a few other ways, like I'm, I'm still really big on bike travel and cycle touring. I have my, this is going to sound super entitled Zen, just FYI. I have my European touring bike in Germany right now. And I have my North American touring bike here in, in Lake Tahoe. <laughs> but for the record, I, I did sell my car and don't have not had a car since uh, a year ago. So that's congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's hard to do on the West coast. You know this. Yep. Um, so writing, adventuring, still dreaming up on school adventures programs. I'm in the middle of filling this program for February and March, 2023 called the Patagonia retreat, which is for 16 to 20 year olds. And it includes partner dance classes uh, it includes community living in a hostel that I rent out in its entirety down in the little beautiful mountain town of El Shelten in far south Argentina. Spanish classes and also how to navigate weird situations in foreign languages. And then me leading workshops about lifestyle design, which is more or less the stuff we've been talking about mm. in this podcast. That, that's something Lifestyle I... design. I don't think I've ever heard that term before. Yeah, it feels kind of smarmy to me, but it's it's the best, you know best term I can find. The idea being that there's this default lifestyle that that you are more or less programmed to to think totally. is is default and and instead of just accepting the default lifestyle you can actively participate in designing your lifestyle. So it's about alternatives I love that. to the mainstream. I actually Yeah, no, I I love that. That's great. Oh, okay. Excellent. And yeah, so th 
this is one other thing I do with Unschool Adventures to keep it feeling like an adventure for me, Zen, which is if I need an excuse to to develop some skill or to like flesh out some some ideas, like for example, the, the ideas we've been talking about here that I want to write about, sometimes I offer an Unschool Adventures program that will force me, I will promise that I will be delivering certain content and I, and I will have a framework before I make that promise, but like what's happening right now is like, okay, I really have to develop these ideas. They have to become really right. good because now I'm on the hook. People are paying me money for it. It's kind of like running a Kickstarter. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, I'm guilty of that as well. I have done that many times. <laughs> I have like booked studio time when I did not have songs written Ooh. or band to play them. I'm like, okay, well now I have to have those things. So It's the Odysseus approach. Lash yep. yourself to the mast. Um, exactly. Yeah. So uh, a lot of writing and, and honestly, I'm not, quite sure how my relationship to the education and alternative education space uh, will will evolve during this time. So hmm. like, for example, this podcast may go on hiatus again. It's it's happened twice before. Yeah. Uh, just when I naturally kind of run out of steam for for things to talk about or, or people to to interview. And I know there are people out there that I could have great conversations with, but it's you know, it's kind of like the repetition thing. If I'm just forcing myself to push out one podcast episode every month, I'm sure that's great for whatever the algorithms are. But if it starts feeling fake and forced to me, then I should probably stop doing it for a while. So, yeah, that makes sense. How, how I, I'm curious for you to elaborate just a little bit on how, on your relationship to alternative education changing makes sense for the podcast but i'm curious like in what other ways does that sure show up yeah i wasn't planning on this but i'm happy to to dance with you the the last book why are you still sending your kids to school i really feel like i said everything i have to say on the topic in that book hmm. and and that's that's a great feeling i feel proud of it and the book continues to sell which is lovely and i maybe the that first question you asked me about which podcast episodes were my favorite. And I said, well, the, the one that stands out the most was when I, you know, interviewed the, the dissenting law professor who wants to outlaw homeschool because it's used to abuse children theoretically. Like that felt like a, a real adventurous conversation to me, but um, yeah, to just continue promoting and, and cheerleading alternative schools and, self-directed education, which has been extremely meaningful and I believe is important work. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll just have to, to come back and and tackle this from a different angle, Zen. It's... Maybe uh, maybe we'll just have to do another interview in eight years and uh, see how things go. I, I'm down. I'll put you, it on my Google give calendar us, right now. Yeah. You can give us an update. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, Blake, this has been... This has been really nice to chat with you today. It's um, I, we we got to catch up a little bit before this, but it's super fun to hear about what you're working on and how you're thinking about the work that you're doing. Um, thanks for having me, so that I could uh, have this opportunity to interview you for your podcast. Zen, it is always an honor and a pleasure to be guest interviewed by you. And you know what? You, you give me softballs, and then you throw me a curveball or two. And I love it. Got to keep you on your toes. Got to keep you on your toes. You're great. Thank you very and, much. And we're scheduled for eight years from now. So we um, are. We'll have lots to talk about. See you then, buddy. All right. Sounds good, Blake. <laughs> Thanks, Sen. Yeah. See ya. Bye.